0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Cool. Thank you. Good morning. Hey, if it's okay, uh, why don't we pray? And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of Jesus' words. Jesus says, uh, man, I I tell you, uh, love your neighbor and love your enemy. Uh, With that, um, we need to pray. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much uh, just for an opportunity to gather as Christians Uh, We're mindful that you have called us uh, individual lights of the world, Um, and in this moment, we are a corporate gathering of the light, of the light that is Christ, of the light that is new humanity, of the light that ultimately is uh, your community, your goodness, your kingdom. God, we're mindful as well that it is difficult for us to fully follow you, to fully submit ourselves to who you are. This is not an easy task to uh, remove the the sinful ways, the, the depraved ways of our humanity. And so we pray, would you help us? Would you help us, Yahweh? Would you, with your spirit, convince us of what is truth, of what is good? And would you empower us with your Holy Spirit to walk in the way of Jesus? to walk in the way of a new humanity. God, we pray that you're in this place even as we learn. God, we pray much more for formation than we do information in this time too. In other words, would you help us, God, to practice what it is that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, man, Pete said, I live in a city called Claremont. Uh, anybody ever heard of Claremont? Oh, sweet. Yes. Awesome. Cla- man, let's make sure we're thinking of the right one, right? LA Claremont, not San Diego Claremont or like Oregon Claremont or Washington Claremont. Like- Okay. Okay. Great. So, so I live in a little city called Claremont. Man, we have these rad colleges called the Claremont Colleges. Um, we, uh, our church, largely reaches students from the Claremont Colleges. These colleges are, are wildly liberal and wildly successful. Uh, Forbes Magazine has called one of these Claremont Colleges, called Pomona College, the number one college in the nation. Uh, I think like ten times, which is insane to me. Uh, four years in a row, specifically. Now, these are students who are motivated by justice, right? They're, they're motivated by equity. They, they love to fight for the rights of the weak, of the oppressed. They, they, they find themselves working towards sustainable solutions for the world, for the globe. They, they find themselves looking for opportunities to really lift up individuals who maybe haven't been dealt a fair hand. Uh, these are the students of the Claremont colleges. The problem that we have found in the Claremont Colleges is is that somebody has to be blamed for all of the issues in the world, right? Somebody is at fault, and so for many of our students, uh, uh, they they find themselves at, at once caring for and loving the weak and the oppressed, and at the other, hating the people who are powerful and who have oppressed the weak, and what's terrible is that so much of this conversation is generic that honestly it, it, it sort of just masks itself as, as what I would say an inability to cope with and live with people that you disagree with. At one of the colleges uh, in particular called Pomona College there's a wall, it's a free speech wall, and uh, I was walking there this week, I think we'll have a picture, I was walking there this week with my wife, and I, I noticed we, we had our dog and we were just hanging out, and, and the, this free speech wall, some students wrote on it in blue, and, and man, I, I hope you know this is not my heart, this is terribly offensive. My wife is Irish, she's Anglo, I love her, and as we're walking, we see this, this right here, the, the YT, which is short for white, the white mind is weak, is weak. This is offensive, right? This is, this is not, this is a, in, in a way of civil rights, this is, this is hurtful. This does not ha- progress us. We, we do not become a better people when we use blue paint to write things like this. But this, I think, is a direct repercussion of the, the issue that we have in our community, which is that love is so bizarrely generic that we don't actually know how to love everyone well. And so you have things like this. Somebody at the end of the day is a victim. Instead of, of really fighting for equity, what we see is that the scale just changes. So the, the weak become the ones who oppress the strong. And, and then things like this happen. I think that this is an issue for us even as the Jesus people. How do we approach the, the individuals that we disagree with, right? This is not a healthy way. And yet, if I'm honest with you, this is probably the mind of most people. We have not, as Christians, fully submitted to the work of Jesus in our hearts. And the Sermon on the Mount is this, is this beautiful telling of the Christ, of the Messiah, live in this way. And it is for that reason That are compassionate and loving and sacrificial, Jesus speaks directly to this truth and says, You've heard that it has been said. Jesus, in this moment, speaks to a culture. You've, you've heard, man, I'm aware of who you are. I'm, a, I'm aware of your being. I'm aware of what you think is right. I'm aware of what you believe to be wrong. I'm, I'm aware of your culture. You have heard that it has been said. And Jesus is so pointed in this. He, he speaks directly to our culture. And then he offers us a new way. The goodness of Jesus is that he doesn't just tell us that our culture is wrong. He is generous to offer us a new way forward. And this is what what Jesus does in this Sermon on the Mount. Specifically, Jesus in this moment, just a little bit of background, is addressing Uh, an ancient Hebrew law that would have come out of Deuteronomy 19. And and this particular, this is what these particular scriptures say. They say, if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother false, Then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. You shall not pity, or excuse me, your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. So Jesus is addressing this law here. When when Jesus speaks about loving your neighbor, about loving your enemy, he's he's speaking to a culture that has grossly misappropriated God's holy law. He's, He's speaking to a culture that has actually taken God's word and perverted it to say That you have a moral, a spiritual pass or obligation to hate your enemies. Listen, Deuteronomy 19. Was not a, a system for the perpetuation of hurt. It was a system for justice. It, it, was, it wasn't a system for increased violence. Ultimately, it, it was to remove the power from the hands of the parties so that the wise community, the collection of people, could carry out judgment. This idea was to bring reconciliation, not multiplied harm and violence. And this is why central to the law is, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. This law that has been perverted, this law that has been manipulated was not there so that we could indeed have eye for eye, hand for hand, foot for foot. Instead, this law was there so that the people of God could be free from wickedness and evil in their midst. And so Jesus comes and he says, listen, listen, man, you've heard that it's been said, love your, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, but I tell you, love your neighbor and love your enemy, and love your enemy. So this is the background, this is why it's so profound. The problem, simply put, is this, it's very, very hard (laughs) to love your neighbors. Uh, I'm from Southern California, I'm from Los Angeles, uh, where I live, within 15 miles of me live one million people. Uh, There is no doubt constant traffic. Constant traffic, and so I am very used to driving in a particular way at a particular speed with particular maneuvers. And when I came to Bend and I got in my little rental car and I started driving, I realized things are significantly different here. Um, right? You you do not drive. But well, you drive appropriate, to be honest. You obey the speed limits. Um, you don't break the law, right? Uh, you're very courteous in your turns and in your blinkers. And uh, I am just not. And so there was a part of me that was so frustrated with people as soon as I got on the highway. And and I just I panicked. And I realized I confessed to Pete. I think uh, I confessed to someone here in my time. Like I, man, I'm living in sin. Like I'm living in road rage. Like I, like I would rather. Like Jesus says, love your enemies. I say, if your enemies enemy cuts you off, like speed up, cut them off, slam on your brakes, and then keep going as fast as you can. Like, I, I am just terribly sin-filled. We would rather Jesus say that than say, love your enemies, right? Like, we'd rather Jesus say, hey, listen, speak speak confidently and highly of your enemy. Don't gossip about your enemy, right? Like, we, we want, we would rather destroy our enemies. We would rather, we would honestly rather gossip and hate them. We, we would much, much, much rather Speak against our enemies than actually love our enemies. And therefore, the, the reality for the Jewish people at the time is the reality for us. The default for the Jewish person that's listening to Jesus probably is the default for us. Maybe not in respects to driving, but certainly in respects to everything else. Certainly in respects to the heart. Bertrand Russell, uh, who is a, a very famous British philosopher, wrote a book called Why I Am Not Christian, and he had this to say about this particular law of Jesus. He says, love your enemies is good, except that it is too difficult for most of us to practice sincerely. And that's not a spelling error. He's British, so he uses an S instead of a C. It except that it is too difficult for most of us to practice sincerely. I think he's right. I really do. I mean, he was, he was an atheist. Uh, he was no doubt, he was far from Christianity. But I think he's right. There's something that's so difficult. It's so simple for us to hear this command of Jesus and just say, well, I'll get there one day. I'll get there one day. Or man, thank God for the grace of Jesus. Or man, you know what? I, as, soon as, as soon as I'm able to get this done, then I can focus on that. And my encouragement to you this morning is, n- let, let's not do that. Like, let's submit to what the Holy Spirit has spoken to the eldership of this church about, and let's submit to that, and let's actually participate, right? Let, let's just not let this be information. Let, let this be formation, and, and let it be that, yes, it is way too difficult. Therefore, we must rely on the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must rely on our God, Amen. Okay, listen. So, to fully understand what Jesus is asking of his followers in this moment, I think we have to answer some really simple questions. So, we're gonna ask, these are gonna be the three questions we're gonna ask. One, who is your enemy? Two, what does it mean to love? And three, how do we love our enemy? So, how do we kind of put those together? So, let's start with one, who is your enemy? Uh, Oftentimes we say things like, uh, I don't like that person because they don't like me. So that can be an enemy. Uh, Other times we say, hey, listen, like I've actually been hurt by this person. Therefore they're my enemy and I cannot like them. Uh, Other times, honestly, we say, hey, look, truthfully, man, I met him. He just had a weird vibe. I just don't like him. Uh, Those are, that's commonly how we think about. And there's so many other ways that we can think about who is our enemy, be that a neighbor. Like I got this annoying neighbor who's always sweeping leaves into my lawn. Like be that a neighbor or anything else. Else, right, what, But whatever it is, let me, just, let me just kind of break this down for you from a perspective of the gospel, for, from a perspective of, of what Jesus has said. Listen, your enemy is anyone who you view as less than yourself. Your enemy is anyone who you view as less than yourself. And in doing so, you refuse to see them as an image bearer of God. That's who your enemy is. Like fundamentally, theologically, biblically, from the gospel, we know this to be true, right? That your enemy is someone who you view as less than yourself, and in doing so, you refuse to see them as an image bearer of God. So listen, at the core of this issue, at the core of what Jesus is saying to us, he's telling us your enemy is somebody that you think you're better than, right? He, he's telling us, listen, your pride is much more invasive than you believe it to be, right? He, he's, saying, he's saying, listen, you, you, your, your pride goes so deep that, that at basic, the people that you do not like, your enemies, you are saying that they are not image bearers, children, a product, a creation of the almighty Yahweh. It, truthfully, this, this cuts, right? I mean, this cuts deep, um, for me, just in this week of preparation, uh, uh, gosh, I was so convinced of me and my, the idolizing that I do of myself, right? I, I was so convinced that, that, that I, I, there, in some relationships, I see myself as sovereign and not God. Right? I mean, this cuts deep. It, 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 I'm realizing that my, my hatred towards my enemies, and, and maybe some of you are like, no, I don't hate my enemies. I just don't like them. Whatever. Like, th- this dislike towards my enemies, it bears up my pride. And, and, and I think Christ is trying to break that down. I think Christ is doing what he can. Okay, so the second thing, let's do this. What does it mean to love? That's the next question. What does it mean to love? Let's look at three simple definitions. The first one is from a theological genius named Dallas Willard. Uh, He taught at UCLA. Uh, He came to Claremont often. I'm I'm a big fan of this guy. He died a few years ago, sadly. Uh, But this is what he says about love. He said, love is to will the good of another. Love is to will the good of another. In other words, you, you desire what is good for somebody, right? Man, I love my wife and, 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 and I desire good for her, right? Like, like I mean, I, I go to REI and I buy her nice stretchy pants, not cheap stretchy pants, right? Or, or, or like or like I go like I go to edible arrangements and I buy like the big bouquet, not the tiny little box bouquet, right? Like I want what's good for my wife. I mean, I'm thinking of Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7 here, where, where, where Jeremiah right to the, the people of God. Listen, seek the welfare of the place that I've put you. Seek the welfare of the people. So so Dallas Willard tells us we, we need to will the we need to will good for all people, right? Specifically maybe in this case for our enemies. The, the second definition we'll look at is from Martin Luther King Jr. I mean y'all know him, prominent civil rights leader in the 60s. Uh, obviously was was murdered uh, Gee, 50 50 years ago almost to the day or at least past a couple of weeks here. Uh, but he speaks to the definition of love as agape. And this is what he has to say to us. And and actually this is in particular in a sermon that he did on these very scriptures. He says agape is something of the understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. It It is a love that seeks nothing in return. It is an overwhelming love. It's what theologians would call the love of God working in the lives of men. And when you rise to love on this level, you begin to love men, not, not because they're likable, but because God loves them. You look at every man and you love him because you know God loves him. And he might be the worst person you've ever seen. This is profound, right? Like MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., he's, he's pushing us into this definition of love that, that we see from the gospel. He's pushing us into this reality, into this truth that, that, man, we love people not because of what they've done or because they're likable or because they got dope jeans on or because they got fresh beards. Like we love people because they're made by Yahweh. They're made by the cosmic creator. Man, we got to keep this in mind with our enemies, right? I mean, we we have to keep this in mind with our enemies. Keep in mind, Martin Luther King Jr. here is in a culture of oppression, and he's speaking about how he has loved his enemies. Truthfully, it's very difficult for me to explain Martin Luther King Jr., It's very difficult for me to process where he was coming from. I I can't fully understand how a man like he who endured so much could have a genuine love and taste for humanity and for people who opposed him. The only thing that I can gather is that his theology was deeply rooted in his very own heart. This was a man who fully submitted to the will of God. This was a man who fully submitted to God's likeness in all of humanity. I think this is vital and important for us. Listen, in this case, love meant seeing God's image in all men and loving them despite their character, their beliefs, or their offenses. This is important when it comes to love. What is love? I think the third definition we'll look at is probably one of the most profound definitions. Uh, The apostle Paul is writing to the city of Corinth that has a very bizarre definition of love in and of themselves, apart from idolatry and lust. And, And this is what Paul writes. He says, man, love is patient. And kind Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong, of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every service circumstance. This is Paul's definition. This is probably a a theology for us around what is love. This is wonderfully systematic. It's wonderfully comprehensive. We would all agree. Man, you're you're hard-pressed to find somebody that has not read that scripture at their wedding. We would agree with this, but would we practice this? We would agree with it. We we love the sentiment of it. We we perhaps we even love the starkness of what this is, that it love isn't jealous, that, that love isn't doesn't keep a record of wrongs. But can we practice this? Is the question. Can we genuinely practice this definition? I mean, truthfully, are you irritated by your enemies? Like, do you keep track of how many times this fool has straight up blown leaves into your yard? Like, do you do? Yes, I do, right? Listen, but even still, do you seek the welfare of people? Like, do you seek the welfare of your enemies? Jesus is calling us to this new way when he says, love your enemies. Jesus is genuinely calling. it. Okay, so then the question is, how in the world do we love our enemies? enemies? What does it actually look like for us to love our enemies? Man, we saw some great definitions of love, right? We we saw one from Dallas Willard. We saw one from Martin Luther King Jr. We saw one from the Apostle Paul. We're aware of the circumstances that those things were set in. So the question is, how then do we love our enemies? How can we do this? I mean, truthfully, like, like how can we get past the fact that we disapprove of this person or that this person has hurt us or that this person has harmed us or truthfully that this person doesn't even like us, doesn't even like us. So why should we like them? Okay, let's, let's just look at Jesus for one simple moment. Man, I, I believe, uh, I don't know, maybe some of you are Christian, maybe some of you are non-Christian. As a, as a Christian, I subscribe to the fact that Jesus was perfect that he was sinless. I I subscribe to the fact that that Jesus loved perfectly in every situation and in every single circumstance, okay? That's what I subscribe to as a Christian. And, And listen, this is important for me, I think especially in my culture, because at the end of the day, I'm mindful that Jesus loved in a dynamic in a very specific and a very circumstantial way, I, 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 man. I live in a world. I, I, I live in a world genuine where where love is morbidly generic. Love is the answer, love is right, there's no such thing as wrong love, everybody's right and everybody's rad and everything's fine and, and love is just, yeah man, I love you and I love you and I love you no matter who you are, no matter what you celebrate, no matter what your identity is. Like I live in a world of horribly generic love, unless of course you disagree with people, then they paint things on walls, but nevertheless, right, like I live in that world of generic love. And, and I look at, I look at the accounts of Jesus and I look at how Jesus loved and, and, and I recognize something very distinct and very different in his love. I recognize that Jesus loved appropriately, not, not generically. Like like I realized that Jesus loved individuals so much that he wouldn't let them go down certain roads. So at times he had to be a little frank with them. Like I realized that Jesus loved people so much that he did go to the weak. He went to the powerless, he went to the oppressed as much as he went to the strong and as much as he went to the educated and as much as he went to the rich. Like I realized that Jesus loved dynamically So how can we follow him in that way? Listen, just consider for a moment John chapter four. John chapter four is a famous story of the woman at the well, this this woman that was neglected by culture, by society. Her first problem was that she was a woman. Her second problem was that she didn't have proper boundaries with love. Her third problem was that she was out in the middle of the day without a man. Culturally, Jesus should never have approached this woman, but he did. And he spoke to her gently. And he spoke to her kindly. Kindly. And he spoke to her, listen, in love, in love. Consider, too, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. It's here in this moment that Jesus is speaking to the religious elite, and he calls them a brood of vipers, Like for me in my culture, that would never be defined as love. If I went into the Claremont Colleges and I said, you are like a a brood of vipers, I would probably like security would come. I'd get kicked out. I probably would never be able to have an Easter service at the Claremont. It would just be like my world would be wrecked. But Jesus does this. Jesus speaks in love pointedly. Consider John chapter two, verse 15. There straight up Jesus fashions a whip. Like this this guy like Jesus makes a whip and then he goes into the temple and he begins throwing over tables and hitting people and throwing over chairs because he's so irritated. He's so moved with justice by the rich who are oppressing the poor, by the wealthy who are taking advantage of the poor. Consider Matthew chapter 27 verses 11 through 26. There we see Jesus loving perfectly as he stands before his accusers and doesn't say a thing. Silently, he's condemned. Silently, he's led to the cross. Silently, he dies on the cross. I'm convinced that Jesus had a very dynamic love, a a complicated love, listen, that was stewarded by the Holy Spirit in his life. It was appropriate. It was contextual because of him being in tune with his father, because of him knowing that all men ultimately were image bearers of God and therefore should be loved and all the more that it would be God, his father, who would tell him how to love these people. I was recently uh, hanging out with a, a good friend of mine who's an atheist. Uh, we, were, we were chilling uh, at a, at a, a place, at, we were drinking, sorry. We were drinking and we were just hanging out. Is that okay? I don't know, we're in Bend, right? Y'all drink. Okay, great, we're at a bar. So, yeah, this is not a Baptist church. So we're at a bar, we're chilling. Um, and, 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 and he asked me, uh, he, you know, he's very philosophical. He said, so Ruben, like, what is love? And like a good missionary, I said, what do you think, what do you think love is? And he responded to me and, and his answer, like, I, I don't know, man, there was something about it. He said, man, love is this deep inner feeling that should always be reciprocated. If it's not, it, it's fake. It's not really love. And, and honestly, like I, in that moment, I kind of stumbled, it was one of the like hardcore missionary like fail. I just I stumbled. I was like ah, ooh, ah, I don't know. And 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 uh, and and just this week in sort of processing that occasion and processing maybe what Jesus says. I'm I'm reminded that that love for your enemies probably is not going to be reciprocated. But I think it's in an ethic of the gospel what Yahweh has done for humanity and how limited our response, our reciprocation of adoration and worship to God is. That I think should motivate us to also participate and probably not the best reciprocated love. In other words, you're probably gonna love your enemies. You're, you're probably gonna love appropriately. And that doesn't mean that they're gonna love you back. And that's okay. And that, truthfully, that is okay. That is the story, no doubt, of humanity and Yahweh. I, I think that that is, listen, that is not an excuse. You don't get to go home and say, hey man, I, like I gave my neighbor something, I tried. That, that's not an excuse, right? Love endures all things. It it completes, it continues. I think we should be mindful of that. Okay, listen, this is what we learn. We learn that at the core of loving our enemies is believing the truth that all men and women are made in the image of God, that God loves them and they are of infinite worth to him. This is vital for us. So so what we know to be true, how do we love our enemies? We have to see people through the eyes of God, right? Like we genuinely, listen, loving well means that some of these things you just got to jump over. Loving well means sometimes the person's not going to be ideal. Sometimes a person is not going to do everything you want them to do. But you have to be moved to love them, not because of an ethic that you have, but because of an ethic that God genuinely has that God genuinely has uh, this week? Just being reminded of, as, as well, of, uh, of the, the uh, horrific shooting that happened in 2015 in, in Charleston, uh, uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but at the beginning of this year, uh, a Dylan Roof was arraigned. The judgment was handed down, and the mother, a mother of one of the victims uh, named Felicia Sanders, looked him in the eye and said, "Look at me." look at us, and and then she said, I forgive you, I forgive you. This, I think, is so profound for us. I think that, man, this, like, like, this, this was not a reciprocated love. Dylan didn't say, baby, I love you too. I am sorry. I'm moved with air. With I'm, I'm, I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna confess. I'm terrible. I need to submit myself to God's love and to God's way and to God's God. There was nothing like that. He just stared blankly at her, but she loved him well. She loved him, right? She, Man, man, she saw him as an, listen, Martin Luther King Jr. said they, they could be the worst person in the world. And she still saw him as an image bearer of God, as an image bearer of God. Listen, Jesus teaches us that, that, that our ability, and, and this is where I think we really got to start to break stuff down. How do you love your neighbor? Jesus teaches us that our ability to love our, our neighbors or excuse me, I should say our enemies is largely dependent on our ability to rely on Yahweh. It's for this reason that Jesus says, you've heard that it has been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your neighbor, love your enemies and pray for them and pray for them. Man, honestly, uh, I, I worked at, a, I worked at a, a middle school. I taught special education middle school. I had a, I had a particular woman that, that just did not like me. She always gossiped about me. She always talked about my teaching style. She, she would berate me in front of uh, some of our, our coworkers. I mean, it was a terrible situation. And truth be told, I ignored her. I gossiped back about her. And honestly, I, man, I just I didn't, didn't have any of it. I didn't want to have anything to do with her. There was no hospitality. There was no gospel in our relationship. And as I was processing, I began to think that if I would have prayed for this woman like I was told to by God, I might've had a bit of a different expression of love towards her. I began to think that, man, if, if, if I would have prayed, then I would have seen this woman as God's creation. And it would have been very difficult for me to speak poorly of one of God's creations in front of him. I began to think that, man, if I would have prayed, I would have seen this woman as an image bearer of God. I would have seen this woman as a child of God. I began to think that, man, if I would have prayed for this woman, I would have seen that Yahweh put me in Clifton Middle School so that this woman could see the gospel of God that is an overwhelming love for all of humanity through which we can be saved. And I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I gossiped. I ignored her. And truthfully, I never once shared the gospel with her. Yahweh shows me through prayer for my enemies that all people have worth and value in God's eyes. And listen, through prayer over time, my eyes begin to see their worth and their value. The the truth is you cannot do this on your own. Man, I cannot love my enemies on my own. I am desperately reliant on the Holy Spirit of God. I am desperately reliant on God illuminating to me the truth of that individual's worth. I could not do it on my own. Listen, are you living generously in goodwill towards people? Are you loving your enemies? And if not, like, Man, my, my encouragement to you is, can you, can you just begin to ask God to help you? Can you begin to ask God to show you who his people are, to show you the innate value that humanity has, to show you his heart that drove him to give his son to die on a cross for those of whom were him, his own enemies? Can you ask Yahweh for that? Man, Jesus listen, Jesus' command to love is the gospel. Like it is the gospel. Like you have to consider that Jesus is standing around Jesus is standing, he's surrounded by people who are his own enemies. Like, theologically, practically, these are individuals who have chosen to reject Yahweh and not follow his ways, but to submit to a religious system that has brought and wrought oppression on a culture and on a society. Jesus is standing in the center of his enemies, and he says, love your enemies, His authority here is not rooted in this genius guru of a man who has done good things. His authority here is deeply rooted in the fact that he is actively and currently loving his enemies. Jesus here, I mean, man, Colossians 1.21, like Paul would later write to Colossae and remind us of our identities. He would say, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil deeds. Jesus is speaking to these people. Listen, man, I think, I think oftentimes our pride blinds us from the fact that we too were once enemies of God. Like, I I genuinely think that our pride, our our sense of self worth, bolsters the fact that we think God has only come for people that look like us, think like us, act like us. I, I think that our pride actually bolsters this terrible ideology that there are people who are less than. This is not true. This is not true. Man, Jesus comes to us, He commissions us to love our enemies because he has loved us. This is the gospel, is it not? Man, it seems foolish, it even seems paradoxical. How could it make sense? But Jesus says to us that we are to be a people marked by his love, marked by his love. Not by, and this is why Jesus says in the latter verses of this command, listen man, the world has the market cornered on hating enemies. Like people, man, that's easy. You don't have to try. Like you genuinely, like I don't have to try to like give a bad look towards my neighbor, right? Like I don't have to try to say bad language in my car. Like it just comes out. It's natural when somebody cuts me off, right? Like I don't have to try to hate people. It's natural. But Jesus tells us of a new way, of a better way through which, through which we submit ourselves to God's law, to God's spirit. Jesus tells us of this new way. Man, if some of us are, we're hustling the Bertrand Russell philosophy. It's just too hard. So why would I try? Why would I try? Martin Luther King Jr., in this same sermon, has this to say, I think, to us. And I'll sort of say this and then I'll close. He says, Certainly these are great words. Words even lifted to cosmic proportions. And over the centuries, many persons have argued that this is an extremely difficult command. We would agree. Many would go so far as to say that it is, it, it, excuse me, that it just isn't possible to move out into the actual practice of this glorious command. They would go on to say that this is just additional proof that Jesus was an impractical idealist who never quite came down to earth. So the arguments abound. But far from being an impractical idealist, Jesus has become the practical realist. The words of this text glitter in our eyes with a new urgency. Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, this command is an absolute necessity for the survival of our civilization. Yes, it is love that will save our world and our civilization even love for enemies, even love for enemies. And this doesn't make sense. This is hard to fully understand. And, and, and if you're in this room and you are a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus, you're following Jesus, let me tell you, it is tough, I know. It is hard to love people who do not like you. But listen, your strength is not in your own ability. Your strength is not that you smile a lot. It is not that you know how to turn things around on people. Your strength is not that you're a good person. Your strength is in Yahweh. Pray and ask the Father to empower you. And listen, if you're in this room and you are not a disciple of Jesus, you're not currently following Jesus, then may this profound message that you were at once an enemy of God and he has perfectly loved you, might that change your life. And in that, might you give everything to follow a generous God who rightly could have hated you, but who instead has come to you tenderly and kindly and shown you love. Overwhelming. Love. My friends, Jesus' way of love for our enemies, no matter how contradictory in our culture, is the practical and realistic way forward. The only way that will cause the gospel to multiply, listen, over and over and over until it genuinely is in band organ as it is in heaven. You will be a people marked by love. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for this time. We thank you, God, that you have loved us with a perfect and measurable love. We thank you, God, that you have come to us in this loving kindness and and, and also that you've commissioned us to go and to be this loving kindness to the world. God, uh, man, I'm mindful of pride in how it bolsters us to, to, to hate our enemies, but I'm also mindful of pride in how it prevents us from going to you and asking for help. And so I pray, God, for the, the men and women and, and children who are in here and, and who maybe have too much pride to ask God for help because of what they have, or because of what they've accomplished. I pray, one, God, that they would know that every good and perfect thing has come from you, that you have generously given everything to them, and two, that that, that, that reminder would spread them to go to you uh, to break their pride and to ask for help in loving their enemies. God, we pray that more people will become disciples of Jesus on account of love, good, contextual, dynamic love that it might be here in Bend as it is in heaven. Amen.